0: This podcast is for general educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered medical, practice management, legal, investment, or other professional advice. No one should act or refrain from acting based on this podcast without obtaining appropriate professional advice. We want to be able to work with all kinds of entities, not not be branded with a hospital or health system or insurance company. Uh, When you look at even just the statistics of healthcare costs provided by independent groups compared to groups that are more or less captive in one way or another, or at least highly integrated with, with hospitals and other systems. Uh, we, we provide the most cost-effective care and arguably as at least as good a quality uh, in, in, in day-to-day GI care. And that's really been the driving force be, be behind Insight. I think all of us who have joined uh, have much of that same shared vision and we try to live that through our practices.
1: Welcome to Gastro Broadcast, presented by Gastrologics. I am your host, Michael Weinstein. Joining me today is Dr. Glenn Littenberg. He's a founding member of the Southern California Gastroenterology Associates Medical Group. That group is now Insight Digestive Healthcare, the largest GI practice in California with offices from San Francisco to Irvine. Many of our listeners know that Dr. Littenberg is a longtime advisor to the AMA CPT editorial panel and our national societies. Glenn, you are truly a coding guru and the medical editor of the Gastroenterology Coding Alert. I'm excited to catch up with you and what we should be paying attention to with regards to billing and coding. So thank you for joining me. Michael thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. So Glenn what drew you to gastroenterology and then into private practice?
0: Well that takes me back quite a ways like into the mid-70s. I was at county USC hospital at that time and uh, going through my usual residency rotations and two things struck me First, I I love the variety of the kinds of patients that we took care of because it crosses, you know, virtually all age groups. Uh, Even at that time, pediatrics was part of uh, adult GI training. Um, You know, both genders, variety of conditions that even then we could do a lot for, even without it being a heavily procedural specialty at that time. Um, And the other thing that really struck me was that virtually every attending physician that I had in GI seemed to be happy with what they were doing. That was pretty striking. You know, they'd be kind to the county hospital and they'd just be enthusiastic and, you know, talking to them about their lives and their practices. So that got me going and made me change course and went into GI, wound up at UCLA and VA Wadsworth, where where again, people just seemed to be very happy what they were doing, the the outside attendings, people there. Um, That gave me enough sampling of both academia as well as research. And I decided I'd rather try to find a place in private practice where I could also teach. And that drew me back to Pasadena, where I had been living for a few years anyway. And uh, Huntington Memorial Hospital has a teaching program, medical and surgical residents. So, and it's pretty close to USC, so I could go down there and attend for the fellows. So that that seemed to meet all my criteria, except that I had to start a practice from scratch. So that did not fit my criteria because I wasn't trained for that. So basically that's, that's how I got there, but I've never, never regretted that decision.
1: Well, it sounds, uh, we've all sort of traveled similar paths. I think I did the same thing. I went into gastroenterology because I liked the gastroenterologists where I went to medical school. They were, they were nice people. Um, and then once into private practice, you obviously got involved in uh, state and national GI societies. What, what prompted that?
0: It was really mostly the state society initially, California Society of Internal Medicine. Uh, because of my own practical problems trying to run a practice, uh, the, the IM societies, the American Society of Internal Medicine and the state counterpart, uh, were, were very much focused as part of their uh, tasks on trying to make things better for practice and try to offer help in practice management. And I certainly needed help. So I started bringing both things I learned and things I wanted to know about to society meetings and then quickly got onto a committee and then chaired that committee and then got nominated for national and started working with ASIM for quite a few years and wound up chairing their, uh, in effect, coding and reimbursement practice management committees as they evolved and as ASIM eventually merged into ACP, kept up that connection, went into the merged organization um, and really it took me a while before I got into GI because I, I was for eight years on the CPT editorial panel coming in through a nomination from internal medicine. And it was only after about halfway through my eight years there that GI realized I wasn't a general internist, I was a gastroenterologist. So uh, started making a lot of connections there and then you know helping helping the advisors from the societies and learning more and more. Uh, so when I came out of CPT 2008 uh, that I then went into working with ASGE and to a lesser degree um, AGA and we, we've been a, a very strong coding and reimbursement team ever since.
1: Well, I would definitely agree you are we have uh, GI is very lucky to have you uh, representing us in that realm. It's uh, complicated. Do um, uh, you see as we're going forward here, obviously there's been a lot of discussion about uh, cognitive versus endoscopic payments. Uh, any uh, p- predictions? Where do you think this is going to end up as far as uh, coding and/or reimbursement for, f- you know, for our field?
0: Well, you know, given the the basic way that Medicare pays physicians and the general nature of the physician payment budget. Uh, which, which does not add much new money unless there's something unusual coming through Congress. Uh, basically, anything that starts to grow in volume and dollar volume uh, can potentially reduce what is done elsewhere in the RBRVS. So what's happened now is the whole uh, redo of the evaluation management services, which brings in new CPT codes like it has for office and outpatient that in turn leads to new RUC surveys and that led to some significant increases in the value of those services, particularly for the established patient side. So the the result potentially was a significant reduction last year in GI procedural payments or pathology or anesthesia and and it was really only through uh, pressure on Congress because of the pandemic. That the magnitude of that was markedly reduced. So it was relatively painless in terms of our procedural values, a small reduction, but not much. Um, and we have some significant increases in, in a good number of the e services. But we're looking ahead where it's not likely Congress will grant us those sort of, uh, uh, I, I'd call them favors, but they were really important. They were necessary. Uh, but we're going to have more of the e and codes converting over uh, to the new ways that we're doing office and outpatient. Uh, basically, all of the code families are going to move forward. And as they do, again, RUC surveys will take place. And if the result of those RUC surveys shows significant increase in at least some of those service fees, the relative values anyway, and if Medicare agrees with those numbers, uh, that'll again expand the universe of e payments and potentially contract the universe of procedural payments and anesthesia and pathology. Uh, It's just the way the Medicare budget goes. So if you you look at what's happened over 25 years, we're way behind the rate of inflation in general, what it cost us to run our practices. Physician payments have not kept up at all. Uh, But there is always this ongoing potential of shifting from procedural to evaluation management. We do a lot of evaluation management. That's not all bad, but I, I think it really depends um, what your mix of services are that you do yourself and, you know, where you do them as far as what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I, I, um, I, we have this debate in our group as, you know, should we be fighting more to maintain our payment for uh, technical services or should we be fighting more to uh, improve our payments for actually using our brains. Uh, and it's very hard to, it's, it's a zero sum game. So it's hard to make everybody happy. I'm always uh, amazed because I think most of us have been around doing, like you said, you've been doing procedures for 35, 40 years. Um, it's hard to believe that all of those technical procedures are still gonna be needed in the future. Um, do, when do you think is the next how, how long is it going to be before technical component is again devalued well it could
0: be as early as next year depending on what happens with ruck surveys for several of the families of codes E&M codes that are going through and it'll, it'll again be a, a year later another group of families will have gone through the process so I, I think this is going to be a dynamic changing situation and you know many of the specialty societies are impacted in the same way so there's going to be considerable pressure on cms and on congress to try to prevent there being any serious deep or rapid cuts but that doesn't mean that some cuts won't occur i I think we're gonna uh, unless something major changes in the way that dollars are budgeted for physician services uh, it's going to be a problem on the fee-for-service side and unfortunately, a lot of the value-based medicine side just has not grown in GI, so we don't have a whole lot of other options. Whether we're talking bundle payments or talking about chronic care management, where we take a you know a budget for taking care of IBD patients or cirrhosis patients, uh, episodes of care in the hospital, where there's one payment to the to the hospital and its medical staff for caring for conditions. Um, none of these things seem like it's going to drastically change the way gastroenterologists are paid anytime real soon.
1: Yeah, I, 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 uh, I tend to agree with you. It's, as fast as we would like to move to that kind of world, I don't think it's, the world is ready for us yet. So you've, you've had all these years of experience in payment policy and uh, working with the national societies. Do you, do you think that helped you become a leader for your group?
0: The the two aspects of it that you mentioned really are both important. I mean, my knowledge on the coding, reimbursement, billing, and so forth. I mean, that was certainly uh, a, a significant help uh, when I was a, a little bitty group. When I was solo, and then a small group, and then became part of a large group, helped to grow that. But a, a major part of I think also uh, was. My ability to interact with many other medical groups at the country as I as I participated through committees and participated in practice management meetings, you know, the networking we do in those meetings is, is often more important and more valuable and more fun than the content. I think you'd agree with that. Uh, but you know, learning what other people are doing and seeing how they solve problems and seeing what's new and innovative, both what's presented formally at meetings like uh, gastroenterology outlook the go meeting or uh, you know the uh, gi roundtable etc um, a lot of it is is the networking so I, I had gotten involved in leadership positions at my hospital as well as the internal medicine society way back so it was, you know it's natural i think for me to move up in in various positions within the gi society so it, it's partly the coding reimbursement knowledge it, it's partly just doing what I do and interacting and learning from other people, trying to bring back the wisdom of others and share it with my group.
1: Yeah, I think you, you've you sort of hit on one of the reasons we decided to do the podcast was it was all that other happening at national meetings that we've missed over the last year and a half or so with COVID you know, we can still have committee meetings, but we don't get to interact outside of the committee meetings to find out what's going on in California, what's going on in Washington, DC, or Minnesota, wherever that that's one of the reasons what I think we've sort of felt that the podcast might have an audience. Um, so you've got this very big group now in California insight digestive, you've brought together, uh, 20 some practices in California. What uh, tell me about Insight and your vision for Insight in the future. Where do you think it's going in California?
0: Well, I think the key notion is that we really want to remain as an independent medical group. We we, we don't really see the hospitals as being the best way to practice medicine in terms of quality, cost effectiveness, be able to uh, you know, keep what we value about our patient relationships um, as, as close to our core as we can um, and we want to be able to work with all kinds of entities not, not be branded with a hospital or health system or insurance company uh, when you look at e- even just the statistics of healthcare costs provided by independent groups compared to groups that are more or less captive in one way or another or at least highly integrated with with hospitals and other systems, uh, we, we provide the most cost-effective care and arguably as at least as good a quality uh, in, in day-to-day GI care. And that's really been the driving force behind Insight. I think all of us who have joined uh, have much of that same shared vision and we try to live that through our practices. And I hope that'll continue to appeal to enough gastroenterologists who will want to join us and look at us as a good alternative to getting hired as an employee someplace. Um, and there, there aren't really much in the way of large GI groups in California. It's an interesting state that way, uh, remaining very, very small numbers in large groups and many, many, many very small practices increasingly being taken up by um, the, the hospital side of the system.
1: Now, I, I agree. I think all healthcare is local. And I think what the way uh, groups in California have developed is different than certainly different than Florida, different than the Northeast. Um, do you think that you've been able to maintain good relationships with the California payers, the commercial payers? And if so, if they're good relationships, how did you, how have you developed those good
0: relationships? Well, they're, they're not what I'd call close relationships. I mean, uh, despite our size, I mean, apart from having a little more clout than we used to in contracting, um, only one payer, which is a very small percent of our payer mix, and that's Cigna, has looked to us in terms of any kind of a shared savings program on the quality side. And that's very limited with very little data. Um, and w- we've been very disappointed that we haven't been able to engage payers. In discussions about things like project sonar for IBD and you know any any innovative um, type of uh, uh, patient care delivery option including the the IPA that we work with that sh- which uh, provides about 30% of our practice parts of HMO plans um, they, they should be interested but they don't seem ready to engage so the the relationships are really very traditional and, and that's unfortunate I mean payers should be, working with us cooperatively and innovatively. And there's been remarkably little of that across the United States. Um, we, we, you know, we, we look to uh, um, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield in New Jersey as an example of, uh, of a state of a payer that really did develop some very interesting innovative bundle payment models as an example. But there, there's very little of that going on in the country. So payers still don't realize that we could be potentially their best friends in terms of, again, cost-effective quality care.
1: You've mentioned that Insight obviously is uh, building a a central hub, a a bit of a platform. Are most of the groups that you're talking with in California understand that they're uh, wanting to be independent? Are they able to maintain control of their practice, but are they willing to sort of give up some of that central, uh, central work to a, to a, a central committee, a central group of uh, experts.
0: Well, that's obviously the sixty-four dollar question. Uh, some have been. Uh, some are reluctant, but we're we we've been talking. Some are waiting to see what happens with private equity if this if that makes it more attractive. Um, and I think that's really the next question that we're facing. And that's uh, I, I think it's highly likely that we will. Uh, a secure a relationship with private equity that will allow us to grow, bring in more practices, and, uh, and or um, put practices where populations really need more GI help, where the traditional small practices have not been doing as, as much or as well as they should. Uh, we're, we're happy to step in there. But all these things do take some resources, and even as a large practice, you know, you're, you're, you're either drawing on your own resources or what you can borrow or looking to an outside entity that will partner with you as you found in your own group.
1: Yeah, that's uh, it's always been hard for me to explain that we were in the same situation and realized that we needed um, money to build an infrastructure, but we're also looking for uh, expertise, looking for uh, resources, network resources. Um, so we were, we were fortunate. Um, I'm, sh- I'm sure if you keep looking hard enough, there probably are similar sorts of opportunities where the physicians get to maintain control. Um, with, with the development of uh, Insight, uh, and again, knowing that California is a pretty big place, uh, and people may be listening to this in uh, more rural areas, How can they uh, find out more information about Insight?
0: Well, they can certainly uh, just Google InsightDigestive.com and uh, get to the website and there's contact info there. They are certainly free to email me, g.littenberg at InsightDigestive.com. Happy to take any inquiries and uh, uh, route them to our CEO and others who can help answer questions. Uh, so we're, we're we're getting inquiries, you know, per- periodically from from folks, and we're certainly talking with emerging fellows about joining us. So I, I think growth is inevitable, no matter what we choose to do vis-a-vis private equity. Uh, but I, I think the the trajectory may be quite different.
1: When you talk to fellows, and we're we're all talking to fellows, um, what do you? Is there anything in particular that you talk to a fellow about? Is joining Insight or versus their other options to attract them? Uh, I think the, what, what's, I hope,
0: attractive is the notion of working in a small group, your, your own office, and being able to be very, very interactive with your colleagues in that office and uh, get to know a small staff of people you work with who are you know, working with you to try to make care better. It really becomes all, all the things that make a nice, small practice nice. And the autonomy you have in terms of being able to set to a great degree your own schedule, work hours, um, arrange your vacations, et cetera, with, I think, you know, a, a lot less bureaucracy. And yet you get the benefit of a centralized administration of people who have the expertise. You know that's that's ultimately why my small group didn't want to stay small we, we needed more administrative expertise and more systems and more i.t and things that we couldn't afford or uh, spend all of our time arranging um, on, on the other hand you know a large institution offers certain type of security okay because ultimately in private practice you are going to be dependent on what you earn directly or indirectly you're, you're not going to be subsidized At infinitum. Of course, neither are you going to be subsidized at infinitum if you work for a large entity. Sooner or later, you've got to earn your keep.
1: I'm right with you. Um, I like the career I've chosen. Um, I know you've liked the career you've chosen. And I appreciate your time in uh, talking with me today. And um, I want to thank you again. I really appreciate it. It's, It's great to talk to a Uh, somebody as knowledgeable as you who's also a great friend Michael, it's been
0: fun, good to see you again and hopefully live one of these days
1: Oh, absolutely Glenn absolutely
0: Thank you for listening to the Gastro Broadcast Find new episodes through Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast fix For information about our hosts, guests and supporters visit gastrobroadcast.com Produced by Steadfast Collaborative.